You're listening to the Sunday Messages Podcast, brought to you by Cypress Creek Church. Hello, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. You can have a seat. I want to welcome you if you are visiting us. My name is Jose. I have the honor of serving as the lead pastor, and we Cypress Creek Church are a group of imperfect people who are all on a journey to follow the only perfect Savior, and that's Jesus. So I do hope that you feel welcome wherever you are in your faith journey. We are starting a new series this morning, which I'm really excited about. Thank you for sitting down, extroverts. I know that you are also very excited about this new series. But before I get to the series, we have some housekeeping, important announcements. First of all, we have this guide online. You can pull out your phone and type ccc.god on the website. If you are visiting, there's a connect card there. There's all the announcements. A prayer card also if you want to fill it out so that we can be praying for you and your family in any which way. And also, I hope that you leave here blessed because It's like Christmas morning. You're going to leave with a gift. Our Lent devotionals are uh, being passed out today. And so these have resurrection stories, real life stories from this church family of people that encounter the love of God and have changed because of that. And they were bold and vulnerable enough to share them here with you as we celebrate the beginning of the Lent season, which starts when? On Valentine's Day, that's right. We all know that Wednesday is actually Ash Wednesday. It's, it's, and Valentine's Day. Anyway, we're going to get to Valentine's Day. So uh, depending on how you grew up, tradition, background, you probably are used to giving something up for Lent. And if you want to do that, go for it. I love it. I also want to encourage you to pick something up and uh, read one of these stories every day. Allow them to bless you and teach you about God's goodness in uh, others' lives through here. So please do not leave here without getting a devotional and uh, because we're gonna start reading it together on Wednesday. Uh, community group leaders, we put bags for you together so that you can give those to your community group folks on, um, uh, during the week and you can find those over there. The other thing that is happening is next Sunday, married people in the house. Let me wave at me if you're married. Wave at me if you're married. Wave at me if you want to grow in your marriage. Come on. Keep your hands up. That's it. I caught you. You see what I did there? That was an old pastor trap. So on Sunday, we are going to be gathering on uh, Sunday afternoons for three weeks in this room for married people. Dr. Sean Stover and his wife, Christine, are going to be leading us through those three weeks. Encourage you to please sign up RSVP so we can prepare for you. It's going to be awesome if uh, dads, husbands, you did not plan for Valentine's Day. This is your easy way out. Say, hey, we're going to be going to church and, and grow our, our marriage. So I, I do hope to see you all here. That's happening again next Sunday at 4.30. You can RSVP online. And this Thursday, we are starting something new. If you ever opened up God's Word and flipped it to a passage that you're like, this is really confusing. You have the right heart, but your mind just can't really wrap around what you're reading and, and you're wanting an explanation. Well, You uh, are in good company, and I'm glad for people like Dr. Carl Fallingstead, who's a part of this church family. He's a community group leader, and more importantly, he is a PhD in Hebrew, and that's why we have him serving with the five-year-olds back over there. (laughs) And he's also willing to 
hang out with those that are older than five to help us learn how to read the Bible for ourselves. So he uh, is going to start this Thursday at 5.30. We have a room called the Den in the back. I hope we graduate from that room and we end up in this room because of how many people respond to that. It's just gonna be an hour long and it's gonna be hanging out with Dr. Carl to, to learn how to read the Bible. We're gonna be uh, we're going to be equipped with the OIA method, observation, interpretation, and application. And so if that's you or you know somebody that would be blessed by that, we're starting that this Thursday, 5.30 in the den. Lastly, we've been talking a lot about the Oaks Projects. If you're new, uh, first, help me welcome our overseers up here. Can you help me welcome Pax and Bob up to the stage? Paul is also an elder overseer. He's just out of town. So don't send emails and say, did you kick Paul out? No, we love Paul. He's very much still a part. He's just uh, out of town. And uh, I want to explain what the Oaks Project is. These gents up on the stage. The Oaks Project is an initiative that we started at the end of last uh, year to invest in the emerging generation and in the community. So we're talking about building uh, further facilities to uh, bless our children, our student ministries, et cetera, and a park area for uh, the community group to come and hang out in our beautiful property. So we have an update, don't we, Bob? We do. Good morning. How are you this morning? I have to say, if you have a five-year-old that's speaking Hebrew, I would like to meet that young person. <laughs> that's good. Today is game day. Is there a game today? Yeah. And there's going to be a kickoff, but more importantly, we are here to kick off uh, the Oaks Project. And we have some exciting news for you this morning. I'm going to give you an update, kind of tell you what's been going on over the several, last several weeks since our last update. As we promised, we'd kind of keep you abreast of what's going on. Um, we went back, went back and reviewed all of our original plans. Uh, we looked at the best way to be good stewards of the commitments that have been made for the finances that we have and to uh, come up with the best quality uh, at the right price and the, the most efficient use of resources. And as a result of that, uh, we want to present to you an updated plan. Uh, this plan uh, is a little different from what we had before, but uh, I also want to introduce you to the team that's going to take us across the goal line as we move forward. Uh, for the multi-purpose building, for the um, uh, additional parking, and for the park area. Uh, we vetted out all the options. We looked at uh, uh, architects, builders, general contractors, etc., and did the due diligence. And um, as a result, we believe that the approach that we're taking with the Oaks Project uh, lies in the same approach that we took in the year 2000, and again in the year 2014, in the construction of this building that you're sitting in, as well as that building. And that is for us to be our own general contractor. Uh, utilizing the skills and the talent and the expertise of individuals who have a vested interest in this body. So, with that said, let me introduce you to some, but not all today because somebody's sick. But. Um, let me introduce you to the team for the Oaks Project. Our first, uh, please welcome Ben Kioski. Ben is with uh, Benco Builders, uh, and 
He is going to be our construction manager. Benko is a local. It's okay. <laughs> Benko is a local Wimberley builder with extensive experience in all types of construction. I won't list them all, but everything from single residence to, well, anything beyond high rise. No high rise, right? Yeah, so I won't read the list. But uh, it off he offers uh, design building consultancy service for these and other constructions. Ben has been offering quality ex experience and integrity in the construction industry for over 25 years and has been a part of Cypress Creek Church for almost that same length of time and was involved in the construction of the last building where our children are over there learning Hebrew. <laughs> uh, our architect and design team for this is Power Goolsby Associates. Let me welcome Nick Baxter and Bear Goolsby. Welcome. They've been with, uh, with us throughout this process, and uh, they have helped guide the design of this building, uh, the site, and numerous other aspects of the Oaks Project. Uh, they're an integral part of this team. Um, the gentleman who is not here today because he called in sick, uh, but planning a project like this takes careful preparation and uh, of the site and everything that goes with it. Our engineering expert and another Cypress Creek member is Chris Lozano with Quattro Consultants. <laughs> Quattro Consultants Limited is a civil engineering land consulting firm offering a full array of design, permitting, and land development services throughout Central Texas. They are a locally owned family business who's been in business for over 20 years offering full civil engineering, private land development services, and municipal public works uh, for cities, et cetera, for local jurisdictions, et cetera. So uh, Chris, unfortunately, can't be here today. But finally, let me introduce, um, for this project, the general contractor for the Oaks Project is, well, it's Cypress Creek Church. <laughs> and providing that oversight are two of our overseers, Pax Shagnon, and Paul Dunn. Uh, Pax has his own architectural design and, cons and, and construction company, been a tremendous resource throughout this process, and will oversee the uh, process and the progress of the Oaks Project. Paul has played a major role in kind of keeping us on track uh, with his background in land development in Wimberley for years, it makes him kind of unique qualified, uniquely qualified uh, in this area. This team will be carrying the ball for us and ensuring we realize the dream of the Oaks Project for our future generations as well as for the community at whole, as whole. So, as we join together in covering these men in prayer, let's remember the message in Psalm 127.1, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. I would ask you to stand, if you're able. Hold out your hand as we put our, lay our hands on these gentlemen, and I'll pray. Father, you are an awesome God. You provide so much for us. We thank you for the resources, the skills, and the talents of these gentlemen 
and we pray your blessing over them as we move forward with the Oaks Project. We pray for safety. We pray for good health. We pray for a heart that is in tune with you. And as you have commanded us, we should bring our first fruits to you, our very, very best. Mm -hmm. I pray that they too will bring their very best to this project and that you would bless it and we would see your vision for this, uh, for the project, uh, the multi-purpose building, the park, the parking, et cetera, uh, in the coming year or so. We just ask all these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's give them another hand as you find your seat. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, Bob. Have you ever heard the statement, teamwork makes the dream work? This is the dream team. And my favorite part, if you've ever done any sort of thing in construction, there is one thing that matters most, and that is trust. And we have trust in every single one of these men, not only because of their capacity and their skill, but because of their love for God. And that is something that is very special, I think, for this project. If you have questions at all, know that your overseers are here to answer them. Oaks at CypressCreekChurch.com or overseers at CypressCreekChurch.com. All questions are game. Thank you again for your commitments. And uh, I'm ready to make this dream work here in the next few years so that more children can learn Hebrew. So... New series this morning that I'm excited uh, because it, it kind of ties into this game that Bob alluded to. There is a game, a football game this uh, day, and it's one that I know has the whole country just on the, the edge of their seat. Who is going to win? There's one team with colors, a little darker red and gold, the other one uh, just red and, and white. And personally, I'm kind of going for the darker red. Don't worry, we won't pull anybody, but I have the mic, so I get to tell you who I'm going for and who I think the better team is. I think the team with the you know, darker red um, goal, I think West Ham United is going to beat Arsenal here in, in about an hour. I really think they'll beat them for the third time this season, and they're going to show the Premier League that the underdog can really beat one of the top teams. Football game. There's another football game that is happening. And the difference between that football game and this other football game that I actually won't be able to watch because it starts at 1130 and we have our third gathering is this. You will see a victor and a winner on this team and you will see a loser in the other. The other game, uh, you, I know, always tell me you can end up tying. So what's the point of even playing the game, many people say. But it's the art of the game, y'all. It's not the message for today, so I'll leave that for another day. Joy is what we're going to be talking about for the next seven weeks, right before we go into Easter Sunday. To rejoice, we will see a team on the field rejoicing because the circumstances lend themselves to their favor and they are now celebrating. They're capping a whole season, maybe a lifetime of hard work, and the confetti will fly, and they'll hold up that trophy, and some will thank God, others will thank their parents or their teammates, whatever, and they will have an abundance of joy. The other team, not so much. They will leave maybe in despair, maybe in disgust, maybe in disappointment, but joy, as we are going to see in this beautiful, short letter, this book of the Bible that we are going to be digging in for the next seven weeks, the joy of the Lord is actually not tied 
to our circumstances. The difference between the joy that you'll see on display in the field and the joy that we can have in the Lord in our hearts is that you can be on the losing team and still rejoice. That you can be going through the darkest season of your life and still work on building joy in your life. The Apostle Paul is writing to this church that he planted and he loves dearly. It's a church in a city called Philippi. And the theme verse of the book of Philippians, which is only four chapters long, you can read it in about a 20-minute sitting. Hopefully you'll read it many times in these next few weeks is in Philippians 4.4, where he writes, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord when? Only when you're winning? Always. Again, I say, rejoice. Maybe this season of your life, it, it, it truly is the most joyful that you've ever experienced. Your family is closer than you've ever been. You just got that promotion that you've been hoping for. Things are Good, if that is you, I celebrate and rejoice with you. Share that joy with others. But maybe you're sitting in this room and you are experiencing the opposite. You, you are in a season of hopelessness. You're in a season of despair, of disappointment. And, and to think of having joy may almost be insulting. I hope that if that is you, I hope that you can leave this morning with more joy. I hope more so that you have the tools from this beautiful book that Paul writes, this letter that he sends to the church in Philippi, the tools to grow and build joy. Because the truth is, is that we can have joy no matter what the circumstance. There's been a lot of research done in the area of joy. There is a Christian neurotheologian, is what he calls himself. He's a clinical psychologist, a neuroscientist, and he just wrote a book where he talks a lot about joy. His name's Jim Wilder, and the book is called The Other Side of Church, and in it he writes this, ability to build joy is the strongest predictor of mental health across your lifespan. Joy helps us regulate our emotions and endure suffering. It is no wonder why it is such a prevalent theme in the book of joy in the Bible, the book of Philippians. Over 14 times, Paul writes joy or rejoice. We'll see it in every single one of our messages as we go verse by verse through this book, the pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones in the early 1900s says this, that joy is the mark of a Christian, meaning that what should set Christians apart is not just how much they know the Bible. It's not just how much they act in a way that is honoring of the Lord. Yes, those things are important, but the true distinguishing mark of a Christian should be joy. And yet he says that there is an issue in the church, was in the early 1900s, and it sure is prevalent still today. The biggest problem in the church is the lack of rejoicing among believers, he writes. Again, we have the right answers. We even have the right motives and the right actions, but we miss out on this ingredient that allows us to shine 
even when we're going through the darkest night of our soul's life, we can bright and we can shine and be beacons of hope for a lost and desperate world that is seeking for joy. Let us dive in to this book. Let us learn how Paul not only emulates this joy, but teaches us how to have this joy. I've never met anybody in my life that have said, I'm good with joy. I don't need more joy. I'm, I'm settled. You know, I'm good. I really, no, no more joy for me. I'm, I'm good. We can all learn how to build and foster more joy in our hearts. For context, Paul planted this church in about AD 50. Paul uh, was on his way to Thessalonica and he planted this church in, in this Roman, retired Roman soldier colony. So Philippi was very proud to be Roman. It had a lot of patriots in that town. And, and there, Paul, uh, we see some amazing things happen in Acts chapter 16. We won't get into that this morning, but he plants this church and, and then this church does something beautiful for Paul. Paul finds himself later on imprisoned. He's in Rome, probably. And uh, this church blesses Paul with a gift. And so I now want you to think about this. You know, I'm setting up the stage for what we're about to read. This morning, we're going to read the first 18 verses right through in uh, Philippians chapter one. And then I want to dissect the first two verses. So that's where we're going. And I want to paint the picture of what is happening. Paul in prison just received this amazing gift from this church in Philippi, this, this church that he planted about 10 years prior, probably is what people think. And, and the messenger is this man named Epaphroditus. Now, I love obscure biblical names, and this one is like top two right now. If you're thinking of uh, uh, having a child, or maybe you're expecting, and, and it's a boy, I, I just want to like shamelessly plug Epaphroditus. You can't have a nickname for it. You can't call him Frodi or Ditus or, you know, Epi. It's awkward. You got to go with the full name, Epaphroditus. And if you're looking for a name with good meaning, it literally means charming, handsome, favorable, agreeable. Does it get any better? I want to see little Epaphroditus is learning Hebrew back there in five years. That's all I'm that's all I'm saying. So Epaphroditus brings this gift to Paul. He, he blesses Paul, and then Paul sends Epaphroditus back with this letter. What a beautiful gift to bring back. Uh, but again, Paul is in prison. Not favorable. That's not a good circumstance. I don't want to show, ask if you've ever been in prison. Don't say whether you have or have not, but it's not a good circumstance to be in prison. And so I want you to think about what would you say if you wrote a letter to a church that meant a lot to you, that you had a personal history with, and you sent somebody to deliver this letter, what would you say? What would the tone be? What, would, what emotion would it bring? With that in mind, let's turn now. To Philippians chapter one, where we read Paul's love, where we read Paul's joy for these people in Philippi. Starting in verse one, we're gonna go all the way to verse 18. Word of God says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, 
always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you. If he was from Texas, we would read y'all. If it is right uh, uh, to think this way about y'all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the, with the affection of Christ Jesus, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest of that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from good will. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I, let's say all this together, rejoice. That is Paul's word, Paul's emotion. Do you hear the passion? Do you hear how endeared he is by this church in Philippi? He is obviously overflowing with joy to the point that when there are haters preaching out of envy and selfish ambition, instead of Paul saying, I want those guys to be quiet, he says, no, you know what? They're talking about Jesus, and for that, I rejoice. We read from a man who's obviously tapped into the source of joy. And that's how I want to close this morning by looking at what, what source was Paul tapping into? How did he come up to this sense of overflowing joy as he writes to the church in Philippians? Well, here's how I'm going to define joy. Joy is sustained hope and gratitude. It's not a, a state of happiness or circumstantial bliss. It is the state of being grateful and hopeful no matter what may come our way. This deep knowing that we praise God through it all and we have hope for tomorrow. Paul obviously got his joy from the Lord and I found three sources of, of these th three hints and clues where we learn truths of how we can also have that joy. The first one is right there in verse one. It says that Paul and Timothy, they call themselves servants of Christ Jesus. Paul was an apostle. Paul was the big dog on campus. He was the man in charge, and yet he humbles himself. 
and calls himself servant. Some Greek translations actually read slave. That same word for slave is used here. Paul is a slave to the Philippians. Why would he do that? Because he knows that his Lord, his Savior, Jesus, did not come to be served, but what? To serve. See, the first clue that, that, that allows us to understand where Paul gets this joy from is this truth that God came to serve. We serve a God who came to serve us. Jesus teaches us this in Matthew 20, 28. It says this, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. And you may be thinking, what does this have to do with joy? It has everything to do with joy in this. When we are not feeling joyful, we don't need to fake it. When we show up here on Sunday morning and we are not doing well, this is an okay place to let our guard down and not be okay. Paul recognizes that and models that by saying, hey, I'm here to serve you because God came to serve us. So when we are not feeling okay, it is okay to not be okay. What emotion right now? What circumstance, what sense of despair, disappointment, disgust do we need to offer back to God? Do we need to acknowledge and say, God, I'm actually feeling this way. Allow God to serve you. The pressure is off of us. We can give that up to God and he is capable to meet you right where you are. Validating an emotion does not mean agreeing with that emotion or agreeing that it is okay that you may be feeling any sort of shame or disappointment or despair or anything, but we can give that over to God. This is the spirit where the prophet Habakkuk uh, says in verse 17 and 18 of chapter three in his short book, he, he writes this, though the fig tree does not bud, that's the reality. There, fig, trees ain't, fig trees ain't being fruitful and there are no grapes on the vines. That's no bueno if you're in the vineyard business. Though, through the, though the olive crop fails, again, not good, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen. This guy's going through a rough season and no cattle in the stalls. What does he say? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Do not miss the two things that are happening in this verse. Number one, he is acknowledging reality. Things are not okay but he's not letting go of hope in the Lord. Who did what? Who came to save us, our Savior, which is our second clue. Uh, Paul in Philippians verse one says, he addresses the people, he says, to all the saints in, the, in, in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. He's name calling here. He's calling them a word. And what is that word? It's a saint. He's not saying, hey, you sinners. Hey, you people of Philippi who are this or that or have done this or that. No, he gives them a name that they do not deserve. And that is one of a saint. We celebrate St. Valentine's on Wednesday 
for a, a holiday that has gone straight away from where it once originated from. We don't even know if it actually came from this man who would marry people in secret in like 300 in Rome. And, and then apparently he healed this, uh, this jailer's daughter. And, and so then he got this saint status. How did he get Saint Valentine status? Valentine got sainthood status by performing miracles. Here is the flip. A saint is not someone who does anything good. A saint is only a saint when they acknowledge sin and a savior in Jesus. And so he's calling out you because of what Jesus did for you, not because of anything that you have done. You now are called a what? A saint. So we are saints before God, thanks to what Jesus has done for us. There's a story in Luke chapter 10 where Jesus gives his disciples an assignment. He says, hey, go, don't take anything with you. Cast out demons, go preach the gospel, go heal the sick. And, and they do that and they come back saying, oh my God, literally, oh my God, I have done so many great things in your name, Jesus Demons literally bow before me. We saw Satan fall like lightning. And then Jesus looks at them and says, hey, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you. This is Luke 10, 20. But rejoice that your names are what? Are written in heaven. Sometimes we don't have joy because we attach joy to our performance. And when you're performing good, you'll be joyful. But when you're not performing all that good, what happens? We, we, we feel bad about ourselves. We heap shame upon ourselves. We, we think less of ourselves. What if we saw ourselves the way that God sees us through the lens of his son and of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? He calls you a saint. I want you to repeat after me and say, I am a saint. And then I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, you are a saint. Don't. Forget that. And then next, when you go home, tell the people, hey, I learned something at church. I am a saint. And beware, because we can get so saintly that we forget why we are saints. We're saints because we acknowledge our own sin and the Lord. Here's what happened in uh, Nehemiah and Ezra's time. We read in Nehemiah chapter 8, a, a, a very important verse. It's that the joy of the Lord is our there you go. We know the joy of the Lord is our strength. The context is huge here because the Bible was closed for many, many years. And Ezra was a teacher of the word. And so he gets up and he, he's before the people of Israel and he opens up the word of God and he starts going line by line in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And he starts reading it. Not only he read, does he read it, but he interprets it. He explains it. And do you know what the response was? It was not one of joy. It was one of despair. They wept because they thought, oh my goodness, I am not going to measure up. I'm going to be just like my ancestors who were given everything that you are now reading to me and still fell short, who made an idol out of gold after God had literally delivered them out of slavery and parted the seas. We are not better than they are. We also are going to fail. And it is that context in verse 10 of Nehemiah 8 where uh, Nehemiah says this, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord and do not be grieved. Here we go. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. So that the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy. Do not 
be grieved. What is he saying? He's saying this. If you put joy and tie that to your performance, you're going to be let down. But if you tie joy to God's performance, to the way that he comes, he comes through time and time again, he never fails. You will have a source to rejoice and refuel your heart. Last point is this. Verse two, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He is speaking God's grace. He's speaking God's peace over the people. Joel read a verse earlier that says that in the presence of the Lord, there is what? Fullness of joy. In God's presence, there is fullness of joy at your right hands, our pleasure forevermore. Grace and peace is God's presence that he is blessing them with. And this is where we find, I think, probably the most significant source of joy. And that is this, that God smiles on you. Let me explain that just for a second. The word presence in Hebrew from this verse in Psalm 1610 says, you make known to me the path of life in your presence. There is fullness of joy. This word presence in Hebrew can also be uh, defined or translated as face. God's face is where there is fullness of joy. Here's how Eugene Peterson paraphrased this in the message. Now you've got my feet on the life path, all radiant from the shining of your face. Ever since you took my hand, I'm on the right way. When I was... Uh, learning how to play the piano as a child. I had a very strict Russian teacher. He fit the bill. And uh, when I would show up and I did not practice, I did not perform, I did not do my homework, he was with me. His presence was with me. But it looked like this. Well, kind of looked like this. And uh, every time I'd mess up, he'd say, practice. And I would mess up and he said it again. And then I'd mess up and then he'd say again. And then I'd mess up and he'd say again. And the next week I practiced. And I don't tell you that story to ask for any pity. Quite the contrary. I'm so glad for him. I can play the piano the way I can because of him. And it makes a great sermon illustration in this. Sometimes we think of God's presence with that posture, with his back towards us. He may be with us, but he's not happy. He's not smiling down honest. My friends, there is nothing that we can do to earn God's smile or favor or warmth or blessing. It is a free gift of grace that we have that blesses us with this peace that transcends all understanding. And the reason why we don't have joy in the church is because we do not believe that we serve a God who came to serve us. We don't truly understand that God calls us a saint, and we don't know that God is looking down, smiling on us. wonder which of these three God is asking you to sit with and meditate and, and take home and think about so that you can rejoice. In Hebrews chapter 12, we read that God is the author. Jesus is the perfecter, the author of our faith. And then it says, this. 
in Hebrews chapter 12, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What was that joy that was set before him? It was relationship with you. His relationship with me, his lost sheep that were gone astray, but now have been redeemed into right standing thanks to the cross and resurrection of Jesus. May we rejoice in that truth. If you're able and willing, please stand as we close in prayer. Lord, we cannot comprehend the depth of your love for us. We can't understand how we can truly have joy when we feel like we're imprisoned, when we feel like we are at the bottom in that valley, hope, despair, disgust, disappointment, hopelessness. We pray, Father, that you would teach us how to rejoice, that how we can truly have joy in you and be stronger because of it. May we receive these truths that you have spoken to us this morning. May we personalize them and may we walk out of here rejoicing because of what you have done. And if there's anyone in the house that has yet to say Jesus to, uh, as their Lord and, and, and your Savior, I do wanna close by giving you an opportunity. God is looking at your heart and he wants you to demonstrate your heart posture with words. Romans 10 says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts, that he has been raised from the dead, we will be saved. So I wanna encourage you right where you are to repeat these words after me and say, Jesus, this morning, I give you my life because you gave me yours. I thank you for the price that you paid on the cross for my sin and for the hope that I have thanks to your resurrection. I choose to follow you from this day forward in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Messages podcast. You can dive deeper into the messages weekly by subscribing to the Conversations podcast, where we dig into the previous Sunday's message, unpacking how we can apply it further in our daily lives. See you again next week.